And I want to read one scripture today. I may quote some, but I want to read one. It's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. And that's what we're celebrating here today. To me, this is the greatest scripture to help you believe God and receive from God. Because everyone knows if you're a Christian and you think something is impossible for God, uh, you're not even in first grade spiritually. If there's any, is there anything? That's what Jeremiah said. Ah, Lord God, they sang it. Thou hast made heaven and earth by thine outstretched hand. Now, God that big and that mighty, you know what the Bible said in Psalms about that? It said, let all the world stand in awe of him. That means his greatness, his might, his creative power. For he's, he commanded, it stood fast. He spoke and it was done. I mean, what kind of God, what kind of God do we serve that created the firmament with his own word? You know how he created the firmament? He didn't work up a sweat. He didn't roll up his sleeves. He said, and he must have had his outstretched arm because Scripture said, Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made heaven and heaven, the firmament, and earth by thine outstretched arm. Amen. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made heaven and earth by thine outstretched arm. Let all the world stand in awe of you because you spoke it into existence. You spoke. Bing. It was done. I've often said I do believe in the Big Bang. Not as a theory, but as a fact. Not as an arbitrary, accidental, incidental thing that occurred with nothing behind it. But God said, let there, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be a firmament and bang. Say it with me, bang. That's the big bang, all right. Now, how that happened, but he spoke it and it was done. Hallelujah. He commanded, and it stood fast. Wow. You see, this God that has this kind of not only power, he spoke and it was done, and he commanded, and it stood fast. When that God says to us in Deuteronomy 28, I will command the blessing on your storehouse. What? The God that commanded light to shine out of darkness that has that kind of awesome power also has the same awesome authority i'll command the blessing upon you wow oh by the way there's a flip side to deuteronomy if we become disobedient and rebellious and hard-hearted he said he'll command curses to come all of our problems today are not just the devil he may lead us into rebellion Lead us into blatant, unrepentant disobedience. But God is the one who chastens his children. Can you say amen? And no one escapes that. There's no one that's super sanctified. 
I'm not going to ask if anyone in here has ever been convicted or chastened in some way, but he's not a child abuser. He's not bringing some devastating disease upon you to hurt you and to harm you. His chastening is for correction. Amen. And instruction so that we can be humbled enough that he can instruct us again. And it's all part of his love for us. It's all part of his love for us. He chastens every son that he loves. He scourges everyone that he receives. If you be without chastening, then ye are bastards and not sons. You can't claim God is your father. Amen. Is that the scripture? Yes, it is. I'll tell you. You can look it up. He chastens every son that he loves. And it proves that you belong to him. Some people think you can get saved and do what you want. You've got a big surprise coming. He loves you too much to let you do that. If he, listen, if I had a child, there's little toddlers running around here, and they can run, and they can run fast. And if they want to play in the road, somebody is going to call their hand on that. You're not going to let a toddler play in that road because somebody's going to kill your child. If you love that child, you're going to get them out of the road. I remember we, we love our doggy. And he's such a sensitive doggy, it didn't take but one chastening. And that was just a slap on the rump. That's all it took. He's so sensitive. I mean, he's like a chihuahua on steroids in terms of sensitivity. He's big and long, but he's 35 pounds, but he's super sensitive. And we opened the door, and he went on his joy run, right straight across the road without looking into another property, and then turned around and joy run back. And my wife hollered at him for running like that. And then when he come back, she smacked him on the bottom. And, for, and that, was, uh, that was about nine years ago when he was about one year old. And he has never done it. One smack, and it wasn't a smack to hurt him. It wasn't a smack to harm him. It was a smack because she didn't want to see our sweet doggy get run over out there in the road. You understand love is not permissive. Love is never permissive. Love chastens, but it chastens in love, speaking the truth. I can hurt you with truth and not help you with truth. I can beat you with the word. But God doesn't. He'll convict you with it. Amen? I've been convicted while preaching. You say, Brother Little, how can you stand in the pulpit? I'm the best one to be up there is someone that applies it to myself. Amen? Goes home and prays about my shortcomings. I'm preaching perfection to you. And I haven't arrived yet. Anybody here outgrown the Word? You don't need it anymore? I've had people come through our ministry that have exempted themselves. They're dispensing everything and not receiving anything. And they shipwreck. When it comes time to believe God, there's no real faith there. But the presentation and the persona that they've adopted is to elevate themselves and not humble themselves. 
And what happens when you elevate yourself? It's pride. What does God do? How does he react and respond to pride? It doesn't matter what made you proud. You may be proud of your accomplishments, and your accomplishments may be great spiritually and, 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 and uh, uh, religiously, but how does he respond to pride? God resists the proud. I played football, believe it or not, short as I am. I played, I played junior varsity football, uh, and I was good at it. I loved to hear my name called. Robert Venable, number 53, in on tackle. That guy looked and saw how small I was, and he decided to come through that side of the line. I was a defensive guard. <laughs> I was a right guard, not the deodorant, the other, you know, football thing. <laughs> Amen. And so he would come through my side. But the good news was Fred Wiley. I'm calling my, my schoolmates 53-year anniversary now. If we had a gathering, it would be our 53rd high school reunion. Uh, we haven't a If we wait till our 60th, uh, we may have to have it in heaven, all of us. I don't know how long the Lord will let us all stay here, but uh, I was glad to be at our 50th, and our, I, I was there with Fred Wiley. He was a tackle that was right beside me, and I knew I couldn't handle that big fullback coming through. But I got down and, and, uh, and hit him around the knees because if I hit him in the chest, he'd go straight over me. But I hit him in the knees. Amen. And when I grabbed him around the knees, the tackle beside me would hit him high. Now, he's already got his legs all tangled up in me. <laughs> Amen. And all I had to do is grab and hold on. Somebody's coming to push him on down. <laughs> and we had a coach, and I really believe that he loved us. He was a little All-American when he played in college. He was a great guy. The only strange thing about him was he, no, I won't tell you what was strange about him. That's not even necessary. But I believe he loved us. But I'm going to tell you that man worked us. He wanted us to be winners. <laughs> Amen. And he worked us and he worked us and he worked us. And when we went into a ball game, we were well coached and well prepared. Amen. We had built our stamina. We had built our muscularity. He even told us, don't go swimming. That will make your muscles long and lengthy, and we want them short and stocky. And I thought, I'm your man. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. But he worked us. But he didn't work us to hurt us. The disciplines he put us on was to help us when we were in the game. You're, you're, listen, you know what the Bible says we're involved in? The Bible said we're involved in a, a war. We're involved in a very real spiritual battle. And no man that warreth. This is for everybody in this room. This is about your priorities, my priorities. If you don't believe you're in a war, in a war then forget your priorities and just let the devil come and be unprepared. But if we're in a war, you have to get your priorities straight. Week after week, I pray something will change in my heart, my life, that something I will do differently, receiving and honoring the instruction from the Word of God because my enemy is seriously committed to my destruction. And my ally is seriously committed not just to my victory, but my instruction. Because my victory and your victory 
is based on what you do with His instructions. We need to give the more earnest heed to the things, this is instructions from the Word of God, to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Can you say amen? We're instructed that we're not arguing against flesh and blood. Ephesians 6 and verse 10, for we wrestle not. One pastor said, I could stop right there and it would, it would, it would address most of Christianity. We wrestle not. We do not win over the devil very often because we don't know how to fight to win. We're not putting on God's armor and we're vulnerable and our marriages represent it from the pulpit to the pew. Do no better than the world. Thank God for restoration. Thank God for forgiveness. Amen. But thank God for victory. <laughs> there is victory. What do you want in your life? Do you want God to keep forgiving you and forgiving you and forgiving you? Or do you want victory to where you, you'll never get to be perfect? Vince Lombardi said it, and I love what he said to his team. He said, perfection is unobtainable. Nobody will ever be a perfect basketball player, football player, any kind of sport. No one, and a Christian, no one, until Jesus comes will ever attain or achieve perfection. Perfection is unobtainable. Let's go on to perfection. That process toward what is ultimately going to happen when Christ comes. We're to be pursuing it. We're to be pursuing it, forgetting the things that are behind and pressing to the looking to the things that are before. I press. Everybody say pursue. I pursue. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. By the way, most Bible scholars and Bible commentaries will say in the context is talking about attaining to the resurrection. Well, there's nothing you can do except keep your faith in Christ. We are partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, and they that endure to the end the same shall be saved. The high calling is not just getting you to heaven and keeping you from hell. There's a higher calling than that. Would you like to know what it is since we're in Romans 8? I'm going to tell you anyway, so just go ahead and say yes. Amen. Romans 8.31. All things, including the chastisements, the corrections, work together for good to them that love the Lord and are thee called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestine to be conformed to what? To, to, to what the Baptists require, the Methodists require, what charismatics think is really the, the high point of your walk with God. No, that he might, we might be conformed to His image. I'm looking around in here, and before I look at anybody in this room, I look in the mirror back there in the bathroom. I am not just like Jesus yet. You neither? What? Brother Taylor, I thought you were that close. 
That means everybody in here is under construction. That means everybody under construction still needs instruction. You don't know how many people in 45 years of pastoring, going on 45, that have come under this ministry that exempted themselves from almost every single teaching. I'm as good as I need to be, and I'm as good as I want to be. Well, I'm sorry, dear. That's nowhere near what you're called to be. Can you say amen? For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to have all these gifts and all of these anointings. No, to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is the prize of the high calling? Is it just living in the holy city? No, it can't be just heaven. You don't have to strain forward to get to heaven. It's not of works, lest any man boast. You can't say, I was against the wind all the way, but I made it in. No, you made it in because of the shed blood of Jesus. You were against the wind because you belonged to Him, and the devil hates you and your testimony. But you can't go to heaven by pressing your way into heaven. You're going to heaven because He bled for you. You're going to heaven because He died for you. You're going to heaven for what we're about to celebrate, the blood and body of Jesus Christ. You can't boast that you did something other than trust in His finished work. And if you think you can, that's pride. And also it's saying that you can add something to what His suffering lacked. That it wasn't complete. That you are incomplete And here's the thing in Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you would believe another gospel, which is not another, but some have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe, he said, Paul wrote them, having begun in the Spirit, that you can finish in the flesh? You really believe that what God did in you By the Holy Spirit that now in your own religious flesh that you can complete that. Do you believe the blood is incomplete and you have to add something to be saved? What would you add? What is lacking in the blood of Jesus? Did you know there's a a pride in a lot of people that want to earn the gift? You can't stand to receive it as it was given. You have to keep your trust. You have to keep your faith. But you will never be pure enough. You will never be... God wants you to be pure. You will never be holy enough and God's called you to holiness. But you're not pure enough or holy enough to warrant heaven without the blood of Jesus. Pentecostals hate to give it up. We like to think Man, when I got saved, you could earn it. You had to wear your hair just right. Your sleeves had to come to the right to here. I was on radio in Merritt Island, sitting there in the heat like this. And the radio announcer, disc jockey, whatever you want to call him, he was a minister. And he was with a Pentecostal organization. And he asked me to come in after a revival service. He came to the revival and speak on the radio. And I walked in in a shirt that came down to my elbows. 
but my forearm was bare. Going to make a radio broadcast. You know, newsflash, they can't see me. He said, if you were in my organization, they wouldn't let you preach like that. And I thought, I didn't say it because, you know, I'm bolder now. I probably say it now, but, you know, I am getting bolder as I age. I don't know what it is. I think I'm just not afraid of people anymore. I fear the Lord, but I'm not scared of people no more. Amen? I thought, I'm so glad I'm not part of your organization. I am so happy that I'm not part of that anymore. Amen? Because that's nothing but pure pride. I'm holier than you are because of the way I... And and I'm not talking about dressing modesty. I'm not talking about living holy. I'm talking about thinking that in and of itself makes you worthy of heaven, that you have to finish it yourself. Jesus said, it is what? What was finished? Everything necessary for your salvation was accomplished at the cross. Not the cross and this. You have to believe on Him. You have to trust Him. You have to keep the beginning of your confidence steadfast to the end. If you deny Him, He will deny you. It's clear. One of my arguments against the once in grace, always in grace, and I'm saying it in this church, and we would have a wrestling match if we got into that, me and my dear brother. A spiritual wrestling match. During the tribulation period, people are going to be saved. That's clear. There will be people. Don't wait till then. If you can't live for him now, I have serious doubts you're going to going to lay down your life and be beheaded or starve to death or take the mark. But those people who are saved and take the mark can't go to heaven. So if it's once done and for all, no matter what you do, then they don't have to take the mark. Amen. They're going to make it mark or no mark. But the Bible said if they take the mark, they're not going to heaven. And that's a principle that doesn't just come up in the book of revelation that goes all the way back can you say man if you deny him he will what he'll deny you amen god is faithful he cannot deny himself he will not deny himself but if we deny him amen you can't you can't i heard a man preach and these teachings are out there and i stand strong I do not capitulate and I do not back down on what I know to be true biblically because souls are in the balances. A man preached in a pulpit in a church where I was invited to preach and I did go and I did preach. And the deacon that invited me on a pastor appreciation told me what was preached the Sunday before I went there to preach. You know what it was? He said, if you are saved and you walk into a bar and you get drunk and you go in the back room and you do drugs and you meet a lady and you have illicit relationship with that lady and you walk out of the bar after all of that, 
shake your fist at heaven, curse God, and a truck hits you and kills you in that instant, you're as saved as you'll ever get. And I thought, number one, if you can do all that, you ain't saved in the first place. But number two, if you think you're saved and you're doing that kind of stuff, you're on very seriously dangerous ground. We are made partakers of Christ if we keep the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. You can't trust him one day and distrust. I'm not talking about the level of faith to believe for healing. I'm talking about your salvation, him as your savior. You can't confess him and then turn around and deny him and confess him and deny him and confess him and deny him. Because if you deny him, he will deny you. If you confess him publicly before men, he said, I will confess you before my father and his angels. But if you love this world and you love sin and you love your friends, someone said, well, I have to give up my flaky friends if I become a Christian. No, you become a real Christian and they will give you up. Well, in a sense, you're giving them up. Well, if he's not worth them, then he is not worth what we're going to give him here in just a few minutes. And that's the glory and the reverence and the gratitude for his cross and his suffering in our behalf. I want to go to heaven. How about you? Going to heaven is more important than having that woman, that man. I love my wife with all my heart. I'd take a bullet for her before I'd let somebody shoot her. Amen. Pray it wouldn't kill me so I could grab that bad boy before he pulled off, shot anybody else. Can you say amen? We've been married 55 years and counting. But if she decided tomorrow, I'm not going to follow Jesus any further. And if you want to stay with me, and I do want to stay with her. Amen. Till death do us part. But if she decided to turn back and go back, I wouldn't give up Jesus. I say, I can't. I love you supremely, but I don't love you more than God. No one should be in your life above God. No one should be above Christ. How could someone hold that place? How could your soul not be that important? God is not easily shocked by what man can do, but fallen man has done things that shocks God Almighty. On certain occasions, said, and he was astonished. He was astonished. What? Here's astonishment in Christ, who was God incarnate. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, he can't comprehend where he's going to spend eternity. And how vital that is. It's all in the here and it's all in the now. It's all living for the moment. The devil wants you to live for the moment. Because if you stop and think about where you're going to live forever, it will change everything about living here. Can you say, man, I'm living for eternity. I'm not. You can't stay here. No, might as well live for eternity. Thank God for eternity. You can't stay here anyway. Cemeteries are not full of 80 and 90 and 100-year-old people. Cemeteries are full of infants, teenagers. People go swimming and get some flesh-eating infection that kills a teenager. 
lightning strikes people on the golf course. Mosquito bites some people and they get some kind of West Nile virus. A guy let a dog, I thought there was healing in the saliva because the dogs licked Lazarus' wounds and dogs are so compassionate. My dog scratched me accidentally and then he comes and licks the place. And I thought he was being sympathetic and I found out he kept licking because he liked the taste of blood. Blah, 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 blah. Expect to see him hanging upside down sometime, you know, <laughs> from the rafters or something. He, he, a dog, last week, a dog licked a guy's wounds and the guy got some kind of rare infection because the dog must have eaten some dead old nasty something before he licked him. And they couldn't arrest it. And they cut off his legs below the knees and cut off one or both hands. They had to take off to save his life. Now, don't quit giving your dog sugar. It was one of those incidents. What I'm saying is, you're, you're vulnerable. You can't stay here and you can't stay in this body. And there's any number of things that can take you out of this body. And when you leave this body, it's not over. Then you're going somewhere. And you're going to live there forever. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no person on planet earth that is worth going to hell over. There's some movie out about some, some years ago, some movie came out. Don't let Hollywood give you doctrine or give you any kind of understanding. Get in the word of God. God is going to honor it and his word to you and God is going to hold you. It's called due diligence. You can't tell him I didn't know when you've got churches and preachers and a Bible. You've got to, you've got to listen, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. No, don't work for it. But what has happened in your life is to begin to come out and become evidenced in your life. Can you say, man, you're not saved by works, but you're created unto good works. And if there's no good works to indicate salvation has occurred, the Bible said it has not occurred. He that committeth sin, John's, 1 John says, is of the devil. Well, we've all sinned, and we've all had to repent from time to time. Sin's not supposed to reign, but you can't get rid of it completely until Christ comes. He that committeth, and that word committeth, means to live habitually in, without conviction, without repentance. And there are people that are preached into heaven at funerals that have lived a life of total disobedience and debauchery, but they were sprinkled when they were a baby and claimed some kind of salvation through this program that they've been through. That's not biblical. That's, not a, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to live for the devil your whole life with the false hope of going to heaven. And most people don't get serious until they're facing death and eternity in the face. Dad Reedy, his wife came to our church for several years, and he went to church where there was no conviction, 
where he never was challenged on where he's going to spend eternity. He was told, you got it all. You don't need anything. He came to our church one service and got saved. Been in church in years, but he got saved. He got convicted of his sin and got saved, and it changed him. He was a grumpy old man. But when he received Christ as his Savior, it changed him. He became, he became like a spiritual daddy to me. He wanted to leave me his house and everything else. Of course, he didn't, but he just, he just opened up. I went to pray for him in the hospital before he came to church and got saved. I went to pray for him in the hospital. They'd already, his son was in Germany, and the Red Cross was working with the military to bring his son in because he was dying. I went to pray for him. I said, Dad, really? And I knew he was in church somewhere, but he wouldn't come to our church. Because if you, if, you if you don't know where you're going and you get in here, it's going to bug you. It's going to bother you. And I am so glad. One of the great things someone said about our church said, I, the re- reason I don't go to Brother Venables is I know if I go there, I'm going to be convicted. I thought, what a, what a badge. Thank you so much for that. I'm so glad to know that when you come in here, there's a possibility, a probability. No, there's more than that. You're going to be convicted. If you're not ready to meet Jesus, the Holy Ghost came into the world not just to give us a liver shiver on Sunday morning or or the ability to say, come tie my bow tie three times. Can you say amen? Tongues without the genuineness of the Spirit is sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. So that don't qualify you for heaven. Only the blood of Christ qualifies you to heaven. He supplies it, but we've got to apply it by faith. Can you say, man, and repentance? I know I'll be convicted. If you're sitting here today and there's sin in the way of your relationship with God and you're not convicted, that means your heart is becoming hard. It's becoming calloused. And I, I remember my, my heart began to callous when I would push away my dad praying for my salvation i got off from work i'd feel conviction i got off from work it was so strong on me and i would find a rock and roll station on my radio and i would turn the radio up loud to push back it's not comfortable knowing where you're going when you die and not willing yet to give up sin in order to Take care of that supreme issue of your whole life. Can you say, man? And I would turn it up and turn it up. I remember one morning I was coming home. And I I wasn't drinking to get drunk. I was just drinking because it's what everybody was doing. And I I remember going to the ABC liquor store on, on the break. And uh, having a whiskey sour and having something else. And I remember going to Pizza Hut and drinking a beer out of a pitcher of beer on our lunch break. And I remember taking Benzedrine so I could pull a bonus to get a little money for baby food extra above our budget. I remember driving home with the Benzedrine coming off. I was selecting frozen food and receiving frozen food. And, and I, remember, I remember getting almost to Plant City from Tampa where the Funland Drive-In is now. I remember 
sipping Southern Comfort whiskey from under my seat so that I could mellow from the Benzedrine speeding up my heart rate. I don't remember when I went to sleep at the wheel, but I remember when I hit the power pole sideways and smashed the car up, but I wasn't harmed. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't wearing a seatbelt. I was three blocks, two or three blocks from home, and I thought, I, I will be DUI if the cops come. And I floored that 57 Plymouth, little old six-cylinder. I blew the head gasket on it. It never ran again. I pulled it around behind the apartment house, four apartments in it. I pulled it around back and had them haul it off for junk. Scared the cops would get me with DUI. <laughs> scared to death, but not scared to life yet. Amen. But then I, I remember coming home. Uh, a little while after that, and I remember to this very day, God speaking to me as clear as I've ever heard him. And you know what he said? He said, if you don't want me to bother you anymore, because I kept pushing him away. Because I wasn't ready to give up my sin. I, was, I wasn't ready. I, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with my soul. You see, the problem is, if I'd have went through that windshield, that would have been it. There would have been no second chance. As a tree falleth, so shall it lie. There's no purgatory. There's no in-between. There's no place a priest or preacher can pray you out of. God in His love brought me to a place of decision. And Him, when He said that to me, I felt immediately lost. I felt abandoned. My friends that I laughed with, my family that I loved with, couldn't feel that feeling of lostness. I felt like a grain of sand on the seashore, and there was, there was nobody that could console me. I was lost. And I cried out, and I said, no. No, Lord. I got on the phone when I got home, told my daddy, I said, Daddy, are they having church in just back? Some being kind. Hearts and colors will show you, and the of God make all the difference. On some, having compassion will make a difference. But others are like a firebrand. You know what a firebrand is? It's a piece of that wood that's already ablaze. If it's not plucked out of the fire, it's going to be consumed by the fire. Others are like a firebrand plucked out of the fire. I'm going to tell you, I was a firebrand that needed to be plucked out of the fire. God needed to do something to get my attention to my immortal jet. He had my attention, but there was malice on my heart. From the word, I needed the word. I needed to be as needed. It was moving freely. I said, Dad, are they having church anywhere midweek? He said, in Mama, they're having a camp meeting, Church of God camp meeting. I said, Dad, can we go? Well, what my daddy didn't tell me, I'm going to tell you the power of intercession. What my daddy didn't tell me was that morning, what, who was to become my pastor, his pastor, had called and said, Bob, I believe God is going to do anything you ask him today. What do you need me to pray with you? He told me to agree with you, and God was going to give it to you. All his life, he had stomach problems. He started to say, pray for my stomach. And he said, no, my son 
doesn't know Christ as his Savior. He's out there somewhere in the world, and I'm concerned about it. Will you pray for Bobby? And they agreed. That was the morning they were agreeing. That night, I was in that condition. <sighs> Folks, I want you to know God is so very real. But when I got to Waimama, when I got down there, I hardly heard the preacher because I was raised in church. I heard, hardly heard the preacher. But I was waiting for the altar call. I wanted to go and publicly bow before the Lord and ask His forgiveness and repent of my sin, receive Christ as my Savior. And the moment they started singing the invitation song, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. And it scared me again. I got real scared then because there's a scripture. Here's the problem with man. We think we can come to God when we're ready and on our terms. We can come anytime we choose and we can come on our terms. No, you cannot. No man, no man without exception comes to me. Except my Father, draw him. If the Holy Spirit, when He comes, what's He going to do? He's going to convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And you can see it in Felix, the governor who calloused his heart. Paul came before Felix in the book of Acts, and Felix expected Paul to give him a bribe. Instead, Paul gave him the gospel. And the Bible said, And Felix reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And said, here's the callous coming. And said, go thy way. Go thy way. When I have a convenient season. When I have a convenient time. I'm not through with my sin. I'm not through partying with my friends. When I decide that I have sinned enough to satisfy my flesh, then I'll consider my salvation. Go that way. When I have a convenient season, I will call for you. There's no evidence in Scripture that Felix ever came to Christ. I pray that he did, but there's no evidence of that. You can't come when you decide. You come when He calls. And you can't come without His call. Thank God He will call. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. But He has to knock. You can't just open the door and invite Him to come. This is the fallacy. So I asked Dad Reedy, I said, Dad, everybody called him, Dad. I said, Dad, if you died, you never left this hospital, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would go to heaven? And he hesitated, like most people do, because he was baptized in water. He had joined a church. He was unconvicted sitting in church Sunday after Sunday, but faced with not just the possibility of death, but the probability of death. You get real serious if you know anything about your soul's destiny. And he said, no, I can't say that. I said, would you like to know right here and right now? 
Would you like to pray? And he prayed the sinner's prayer. He's in a church, baptized in water, told that's all there is, that's all there is to it, there's nothing else. On his way to hell. Unless somebody challenged him on that very issue. Because he sure wasn't challenged in church. Thank God there's conviction here. Thank God there are people that feel convicted, didn't want to come because they'd have to deal with it. Go to a church where everybody's partying, like they did with my son. Before my son came full circle and really committed to Christ before he went home. He went to renew his insurance. Big, mega church, supposedly Pentecostal. The insurance agent said, why don't you come bowling with with us? Come to church, we go bowling afterwards, we all get a pitcher of beer. My son was an alcoholic, and they told him it was going to kill him if he kept drinking, and he's got a Christian man inviting him to go bowling and drinking. And that's church today. And since nothing I ever do is going to matter, why not just party with everybody else? Because there's somebody watching you. My son became an alcoholic because he drank a beer with a gospel singing band. They didn't become alcoholic. But he did. And he was hooked by Christians. Not by pagans or the world. People ask me about what can I do? And they're always asking me, what can I do? What can I do? And, and what, do, what does the Bible, I want to know what it doesn't forbid. I want to be able to push the envelope. No, you do not want to push the envelope. No, if you don't have a desire, amen, to, to follow Jesus at all, there's something desperately needed in your experience and in your life. He that committeth sin, Live habitually in, unconvicted, unrepentant. That's what that word committeth means. It's a lifestyle. Unchanged. He that committeth sin is of the devil. And it doesn't matter if he's been baptized in water. It doesn't matter if he was sprinkled when he was a baby. It doesn't matter if he's a member of the first church of what's happening now. He's not saved by works, but there has to be evidence that salvation has occurred. Because if any man be in Christ, he is the same old man bound by the devil, influenced by the darkness, living for hell instead of heaven. No, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Have become new. He's going to be in a real war between his flesh and spirit because everything in his spirit has become new. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I sat back there and I said, Lord, if you will let me feel conviction, if you will just draw me, I feel like I can't move, I feel like I'm paralyzed. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, you, you, you need to wise up, O men of God, not just rise up. Amen. The devil didn't want me saved. 
number one, and he sure didn't want me preaching for 45 years so others could get saved. Can you say amen? But I'm going to tell you, amen, it came again, and I did not hesitate. I did not feel my feet touching the floor all the way from the back of this huge convention place to the altar. I fell at that altar. Amen. I wet it with my tears and snot. I'm going to be honest with you. Everything that could run did run. Not just my feet, but my nose and my eyes. I said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I, I have felt what it is to be lost. There's so many people that will maybe never feel what I felt, but you let me feel it. And it wasn't because you wanted to hurt me. It's because you wanted to help me. Can you say, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And I've been thanking Jesus ever since. Not just giving thanks, but living thanks unto the Lord. And challenging people. Pop Reedy got saved. Church man. Baptized. Right after I got saved, I got, you know, I, I say I got a hurry. We only have one service and, and we've almost eat up two hours. But this is so important. So important. First person I won to the Lord. The church-going man. Isn't that amazing? I worked with him every day, day in and day out. And when I got saved, I got saved. I didn't go in, you know, with a big preaching thing. I just went in and did my job. Amen. Just, I didn't go in the break room with everybody because they're telling all those nasty jokes and I didn't want to be part of it. Amen. So I just stood out on the dock and eat my peanut butter sandwich. And a man in the break room come out. He said, I got to talk to you. It was a Sunday night on a loading dock at Winn-Dixie Warehouse. And I'm standing out there and he comes out. I had come in after a Sunday night service. And I don't know if you know about afterglow. But we had glow in our service. Presence and power of God was manifest in our service. And that meant when you come out of there, there was an afterglow. I remember sitting in my car and watching my watch, knowing it was almost time to clock in, but I was so lost in the Lord, I wanted to wait till the last minute to go out and change that focus. I was sitting in the front seat thanking Jesus, crying again. <laughs> Amen. I dried my eyes and, and all puffy looking, <laughs> went, went in and clocked in, worked till the first break, and a man comes out and says, i got to talk to you. And Larry Messenger came out and he said he said Robert said when you came in tonight I saw something in your face and in your eyes remember when Abraham went up into the presence of God and the glory of God that afterglow was on his face that he had to put a veil on because people would look at him as like looking at a laser It wasn't like that, but there was something that he knew that changed in me, and he knew it hadn't changed in him. And he said, can you come to my house tomorrow night for supper? I need to talk to you. I saw something in your face tonight. And boy, I thought, wow, what is this all about? What is this all about? We went to his house. He grabbed me and said, come in here. We went in the bedroom together. And he sat down on the side of the bed, and I shared my testimony with him. And he's a man going to church every Sunday. He's been baptized in water. 
and he is convicted of his sin and his lost condition because baptism and church and religion is no substitute for a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Larry Messenger started crying same way I cried. Amen. He got saved in his bedroom, and he never got saved in his church. Something is wrong with a church service that you can sit in lost and go home unconvicted and comfortable. But you had a good time, and they started on time, and they, that seems to be the big deal now. And it was entertaining. I really like the music over there. Well, honey, if you're just going to be entertained, I hope you find a church you want to worship God in. Not just the music, but worship the Lord. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Hallelujah. I got saved. And I led a church-going guy to Christ. And they had a child that was autistic and couldn't even hardly make it through school. And we began to pray with him and for him. And he ended up not only graduating high school, but going to Southeastern Bible College and going with missionaries to do mission work. And it all started with a 1959 Plymouth. I said 57, it was a 59 Plymouth hitting a power pole and me ending up giving my heart to Jesus, leading somebody else to Jesus, and then somebody else is leading somebody else to Jesus. But there was a battle for me and my soul that went on, and people praying turn the tide of that battle. Amen. We need the instruction from the Word of God. We need it desperately today. But I'm so thankful for the Word of God, and I'm so thankful for the work of God in my life and anyone else that will respond to His call. In the book of Revelation, it said, and they that were with Him, there was many against Him, but those that were with Him shared the victory that he has won in our behalf. They that were with him were called. You have to be called. They were chosen. How do you get chosen? This is not election from the foundation of the world. No, the lamb was slain so you could respond to the call. And when you respond to the call, you become chosen. Hallelujah. And there's a third ingredient. They were called. They responded to the call. They became chosen. And faithful. Fidelity. We are made partakers of Christ if we, come on, hold the beginning of our confidence. Steadfast. How long? To the end. To the end. To the end. For they that endure, what? All of the temptation. All of the pressure to capitulate and compromise. All of the pull of the world to go back. They that endure to the end shall be saved. We argue not against flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That's instruction to keep us from destruction. 
to stand against the wiles of the devil because this is supernatural armor for a supernatural enemy. And there's no religious commitment that can take the place of the armor of God. There's no affiliation with the denomination. There's no baptism in water sprinkling. There's nothing man can do to overcome a foe like this short of the armor of God. And once you get it on, you stand. Having done all, you stand. We're not of them. We're not of them that turn back unto perdition. What did Paul say? They went out from us, but they were not of us. Because if, and this is not just church membership, this is following Christ one day and two months later going right back in the world as if that never occurred. They went out from us, but they were not of us because if they were of us, they would not have went out from us. Why? Because we who are truly saved are not of them that turn back unto perdition. We're of them that do what? Believe to the saving of the soul. We endure to the end. Hallelujah. Praise God. We hold fast the beginning of our confidence. How? Steadfast unto the end. Praise God. It's important that somebody preach this. It's important that somebody teach this. It makes people uncomfortable. It creates controversy. There are people who want to argue. My argument is... If people are going to be saved during the tribulation period and have to be beheaded to keep from taking the mark, because if they take the mark, these Christians, their name will be removed from the Lamb's Book of Life. If it's indelibly written, it can never be removed. So they don't have to take nothing. They can do what they think they're doing right now and that's live their whole life from the devil without repentance and go to heaven when they die. And that is a lie that is damning souls. It'll damn your soul if you let it. I'm going to say it loud and clear. I'd rather you hear this one time between here and eternity. If you never came back to church here again, and there's a lot of people who won't. But if they have ever come at some point, they've heard this. Because I love your soul more than your support. God has took care of us for almost 45 years. I have no doubt he'll take us the rest of the way. It ain't that far to go anymore. Amen. This is why people came to our church. Because they knew they would not be coddled. They would not be told they were right when they were wrong. They knew how I, in love, would tell them the truth. My heart started callousing. And I said, Lord, help me to feel you again so I can respond to your call. And I realized right then and there, you can't come when you get ready. You can only answer his call. And that's why they that were with him were called, every one of them. They were chosen because they responded to the call. And they were faithful because they loved him for saving him. And they said, we'll not turn back. 
we'll not look back. We remember Lot's wife. We're not like her, and we're not like them who are turning back. We're of them that believe all the way to salvation. We watched a little video the other day called The Road, the Road Home because my son wrote a song called The Road Home. And somebody written something for choirs to sing about the road home. And we were looking at that, and both of us wept because we know we're on the road home. And we know at our age and stage of life that we are closer to home. You know what the Bible said now? In this moment in time, Paul said, our salvation is nearer than when we believed God. Amen. When you started on this journey, every day that passes brings you closer to home, closer to Him, closer to heaven, closer to eternity. It's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment, we're not appointed to wrath. We're appointed to salvation. He's going to judge our works, whether they be that that will stand the test of, of truth, the real motive, but we're not going to be judged as whether we're going to heaven or not if we keep our confidence in Christ. That's not the judgment seat we're headed for. We're not of them. Look at somebody and say, aren't you glad we're not of them? Are you glad you're not of them? Are you glad you know him? Are you glad for what communion represents this morning? Amen. It represents his body, his shed blood that has been applied to our life. Glory to God. There's nothing greater in all of the world. And I'm thanking him today to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, what instruction from the word have you heard in the last 30 days that has changed anything in your lifestyle and your priorities? Think about it. I'm not asking for hands or confessions. I'm asking you personally. What instruction has been given? You acknowledge the anointing is here. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. The Holy Spirit is here. What has changed in your patterns that would allow God to do more, to revive you and to make you a witness unto others? What has changed at all? If nothing has changed, and everything is the same, oh, same all, then there is a callous on your heart. It's impervious to what God is speaking directly and distinctly to you. And when your heart becomes hardened, you know what happens? Some seed fell on the highway, the wayside, you know what that was? It was a footpath. People would take a shortcut from road to road or to get home, and they would cross a wheat field. And so many people would shortcut across that wheat field that they had mashed down the freshly plowed earth. And when they came and threw the seeds, it grew all around that footpath. But the seed, instead of getting in the ground so it could bring forth the fruit, it laid on top of the ground. And something happened. The birds, I got them, I know I can tell you. You cannot see a bird, hear a bird, 
as soon as I put some seed out, out of nowhere, they show up. They've seen it. They know. And the birds and the fowls of the air come and ate the seed, lest it take root and grow and make the fruit. And they said, well, what does this mean? They said, when anyone hears the Word of God, like you're hearing right now, and understandeth it not, I want to stop here. I want to make this clear before communion. It doesn't mean you don't have the intelligentsia or the IQ to assimilate what you're hearing. That word understandeth means anyone who hears it with no regard for it. I know that's what it says. This is the way I'm living my life. It's not going to alter or change me one iota. It said with that heart attitude immediately because Satan knows the potential and power of God's Word in you and in me. Immediately. Satan don't wait a second Immediately Satan comes and steals away the seed. And that meant from this Sunday till next Sunday, nothing will change in your heart and your life. It's as if this service and that service and that service and that service never happened. Because the devil knows if it gets in good ground, it's going to bring forth fruit. And I'm not talking about a little bit. 30-fold. 60-fold. And 100-fold to the glory of God. Can you say, man, something is supposed to be happening when you're sitting under the Word of God, when you're studying the Word of God. If you get a good ground heart, Satan can't steal it. Hallelujah. And if he can't steal it, God is going to water it by the Holy Spirit. God is going to bless it, and there's going to be fruitfulness. There's going to be a chain. My wife and I were talking today about the conditions of the world, and what if every Christian going to church this morning, what if every Christian going to church this morning really became revived and fruitful for God? Would it make any difference in the world? You bet it would. I prayed for Dad Reedy. It made a difference. He went to heaven with a smile on his face. Digging post hole digger to put it in a new mailbox for us in the heat of the day. Wanting to help me clean the church. Came from death's door to, to, to doing all of that. From hell's door to salvation. Hallelujah. Thank God he went home saved. Amen. Walked over to the man next to him. Scheduled for surgery. I said, sir, I'm going to ask you the same question. I said, I, I just feel led to pray for you. What are you? He said, I'm scheduled for surgery. They give me a 50-50, this and that and the other. I said, well, are you ready to meet the Lord? And you know what he said as we close? He said, I've had the navigators. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a navigator's course. It teaches you scripture by scripture to put it in your memory bank so you can quote it without looking. He said, I've had the navigator's course. And I'm listening to him rattle on about how he can quote Scripture. You can teach a parrot, John 3.16. And he can quote it verbatim for a cracker. But he ain't got the Holy Ghost. And he don't need to get saved. He said, and I belong to so-and-so church. 
and he told me what position he held. And I said, sir, as commendable as all of this is, I'm going to ask you the same question. If you should not wake up, I said, I'm going to pray for you, but i got to first ask you this more important than your physical body. Do you know where you would spend eternity beyond a shadow of a doubt? Brother, remember, you trying to shake his faith? No, if he's got the real faith, it can't be shaken. You'll know that you know that you know. His spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are his child. Can you say amen? And no one can convince you otherwise. Listen carefully. He said, he looked up. He got dead serious. And this is dead serious stuff. And he said, no, sir. He was very respectful all of a sudden. No, sir, I do not. I said, sir, would you like to know that you know? I said, we can pray right now. You can repent. He came under conviction. He knew he wasn't ready. He was under conviction. It's uncomfortable. But if it leads you from hell to heaven, it's worth being uncomfortable. Can you say man? And I led him in the sinner's prayer. And when I get to heaven, I'm not just going to see some pagans out here, some, some party goers that got saved. I'm going to see some people that were in church that thought they were ready. That thought they were ready because they were never challenged, never convicted. There are preachers getting saved. In big and there are preachers unsaved in pulpits in big churches. And if the blind lead the blind, everyone goes into the ditch together. Today in Holy Communion, I want to ask again, what difference does the instruction from the Word make in your life? Are you impervious? Are you beyond the Word changing a priority? so that God can have more of you and me, so he can do more for us and more through us? Have you plateaued out as a Christian and you're on some comfortable place that you feel like, I got all I need, I got enough, I can quote Scripture, I can argue this uh, biblically? No. No. The Lord showed me this. The Lord told me I have no doubt that he shows people things and tells people things. But what difference does his word make in your life? Is it bringing forth 30, 60, and 100? Or is the devil stealing it? So from service to service, week to week. That's why churches stagnate. is because of the unfruitfulness of people who are so satisfied to stay in that comfortable place without ever being bothered by the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Ghost today. The hound of heaven who won't let you alone. He will call you closer. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to not just get to heaven and escape hell. He did predestine to be conformed to the image of of his son and the fivefold ministry is for what what is it for all of them pastor evangelist apostle prophet teacher 
Every one of the ministries that God has set in the church is for one singular purpose. That we be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But we grow up into him who is the head to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The challenge has to be there. So back to Vince Lombardi. I appreciate what he said as we prepare for communion. And Pamela probably getting it ready. The last bit of it. You can't obtain perfection. It is unobtainable. But if you chase perfection, you can catch excellence. Can you say man? Hallelujah. And I'm still chasing perfection. That's why I've always got somewhere to grow and somewhere to go. And I want to keep catching excellence. I want to be an excellent example of a man pursuing God. Can you say, man, after all of these years, I'm still like A.W. Tozer's book that rocked so many lives in pursuit of God. Hallelujah. Seek him and you will find him after you seek after me with how much? With all of your heart. How many want to be that kind of seeker, that kind of a person? How many want to be challenged when you come to church? How many don't want to be, but I'm not going to look. How many don't want to be, but you want to come to church where there is a challenge because you know it's the right thing? Can you say, man, I want to be in that kind of church. I don't want nobody patting me on the back, helping the devil send me to hell. I want somebody taking me by the hand and leading me toward the Lord. God is good. By the way, we're not going to run and grab you by the hand today. So you can... You can not worry about that. Holy Ghost has to do these things. Amen. Father, I just thank you. I thank you and I praise you for the time that we have spent for the word that has been brought forth down through the years and tears. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible studies. If we get in it, it'll get in us. And if it gets in us and it finds that good ground, hallelujah, that the devil can't steal it, it will bring forth fruit. Changes will come. We will become vessels of honor, meat for the master to use. And oh, how he's looking for candidates to be his witnesses, his ambassadors. Hallelujah, that our life can intersect with others and touch others in this generation is our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ and for the glory of God the Father. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise, all of the honor and all of the glory.